Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Today we're discussing peer support groups, why they should be available to your clients, and how you can start or utilize a program in your community. Our guest, Shelja Mather, is a trained peer leader, registered dietitian nutritionist, and national DPP lifestyle coach with more than 20 years of experience in peer support. Shelja, welcome to the huddle. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, we are so happy to have you on. You know, The conversations we've had and hearing about your work reminds me how empowering it is to reach out and support our communities. It's that connection with people in a very personal way through shared experiences, and it can have such amazing outcomes. But, you know, really, before we get started talking about this and about peer support, which is what you're on for, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Sure. So my name is Shalja Mather. And I live in New Jersey. I have worked for Rutgers University for the last 20 years. I am a registered dietitian, and I'm a South Asian woman living with diabetes for almost 17 of those 20 years. I moved here from Boston, where I gave birth to two of my boys, and I had gestational diabetes with both of them. Diabetes runs in my family, and this is a topic that's very close to my heart. So you're a mom of two boys. I actually have two boys, too. And I always say moms of boys, we have to stick together, you know? I totally agree with that. <laughs> and I think maybe we need a peer support for moms of boys, but that, that that's not what this conversation is about. Well, I appreciate you being on to talk about peer support. And I'd love to start here to say, you know, really, what is peer support? So, you know, um, as I was uh, reading through and doing all this preparation since I've been working in diabetes for this long, we know that less than 20% of adults who are living with diabetes, they actually achieve the triad of the metabolic goals for blood glucose, blood pressure, and blood lipids. So, The question then is what could be the solution or part of the solution for improved outcomes for these adults who are living with diabetes? Now, if you look at the definition of peer support, according to the Mayo Clinic website, support groups provide an opportunity for people to share personal experiences and feelings. Um, Sometimes it's coping strategies or just firsthand information about the disease or the treatment process. It kind of bridges the gap between medical treatment and the need for emotional support. So in a sense, peer support is a form of social support or support that people receive from others. 
And it's usually emotional, but it could also be informational. So like when I run a support group as a dietitian, I try to, you know, give them a lot of information, education. And in the last few months, as we have lived through the pandemic, we have all seen that social support helps to buffer individuals and families from the effects of stress. And it also increases resiliency to survive. So after doing these multiple series of workshops with people living with diabetes, I realized that there was a clear need for a more personal non-clinical setting where people can share their joys and sorrows beyond the six weeks of class. So in terms of value of peer group, when we think about a chronic disease like diabetes, the support has to be sustained long-term or that it must be sustained long-term. People are dealing with day-to-day struggles and they're looking for practical solutions. So We should not undermine the experience of people who are already living with the disease. The peer exchange is so valuable. And like you said, it is so powerful. It gives the person confidence and empowers them to try the changes themselves that someone has already successfully implemented. So in a peer support group, they are connected to each other by a common purpose, and they are in a very non-judgmental space to learn from each other's experiences. And as I watch support groups, as I run them, they are powerful places to be. That's where the value really comes in, right? It sounds like you're talking about the non-judgmental exchange or that bridge that decreases stress and increases resiliency. Is that what you'd say? I would certainly say that that's where the value of peer support comes. Yeah. In healthcare, it's always like we're looking for value, value, value. And value, though, is is what gets people to start really thinking about these things. How did you get involved in peer support? So my journey with peer support actually started a few years ago. I was selected as a Diabetes Hands Foundation Fellow. And I met many other diabetes advocates at a conference uh, that was held in California. And there I was introduced to Sarah Mart, who's the Director of Operations for Diabetes Sisters. Diabetes Sisters is actually a national nonprofit, and they run support groups for women living with diabetes. So I must thank Diabetes Sisters for introducing me to this concept of a support group. And not only that, they also provided me with the initial training and content that I needed to get started. And that's where my journey began. When I just introduced you a couple minutes ago, I really meant it when I said you inspired me to think about how empowering it is to help other people, right? Like, so you can help other people in a way when you can connect with them. So how did this help your, because you, you said you've had diabetes for, you were diagnosed 17 years ago. How has this helped you in your diabetes management? Actually, I had gestational 22 years ago. That's how old my older son is. <laughs> but I had, um, I got full-blown diabetes 17 years ago. So I have to say that I have learned a lot over the years from my own support group participants. You know, some of them come with more years of experience with living with diabetes than I do. And we have exchanged recipes. We've cooked together on Zoom. We have exchanged texts on a really tough day. And we do activities outside of the support groups. You know, we've gone for walks on the beach or 
we've gone to, you know, just to eat out, hang out together. For me, it is a place that I can really ask for help if needed. It is a place that I'm able to say that I am not okay today. I look forward to my support group meetings and see everyone's faces. It is important for this community, the diabetes community, to be accepted and understood. And I'm really passionate about this work, and it gives me my spark to keep going on for others like what it did for me. Well, I think it's pretty amazing that, you know, you've, you know, you are that bridge for so many people. And would you say that being that bridge, then it sounds like that that reduces your stress and increases your resiliency, bringing this bridge or creating this bridge for other people? I definitely think that it does make a difference for me. And I hope it does for the people who attend the support groups that I run, because I feel that it is something that I look forward to. And there is research that says, you know, people who run support groups actually have reported less stress. And one of the requirements for diabetes sisters to run a support group, which they call POTS, are um, part of diabetes sisters, or these support groups are called POTS. They have to be people that have diabetes. And I, I really love that concept because, you know, once you have the disease, that's when you really understand the disease. So, I definitely feel that it is important to understand the disease as you start to lead some of these groups. Quick question for you. How would somebody else get started um, creating their own peer support group or, or even working with Diabetes Sisters to create up to, you know, to have their own pod? Like, how did you get started? Like I said, I met with Sarah Mart, who's the director of operations. She's also responsible for helping these pod leaders. The leaders who run these support groups are called pod leaders, and she helps them get set up. So after I uh, met her and we talked about this, uh, you know, I basically talked to her about my challenges being a young mother in the Boston area. That's where we lived in Massachusetts, where I did not have any support. And being a South Asian, my uh, dietary needs were different. And I went from dietitian to dietitian during my pregnancy. And I felt I wish I knew somebody who had been a South Asian with diabetes who could give me some tips at that point, right? So mm-hmm. I discussed with her this need that I want to do something for the community. And that's when we got started in a conversation and it took us a few uh months of chatting as well as email exchanges. And that's how we got started. But there are some tips that, uh, you know, I can share with the listeners that they need to think about if they are planning to start a support group. The first one would be to know your audience. Like I targeted the seniors from a senior center as my first group. And so I knew exactly where I want to promote my support group because the senior center was located next to the library where I got space. So location is important. The time is important. And this senior center actually buses their seniors to the senior center. So the seniors could come to my support group walking from the senior center to the library. So it was perfect. The timing had to be something that was good for them. So it had to be like in the morning. So 10.30 to 11.30 is what I have been using for many years. And um, another thing to consider is you have to decide now that we are all so well um, zoomed in, I must say, (laughs) that uh, whether you want to run an online class or an in-person, because I started out in-person 
but the second group that I started recently is on Zoom. So I chose to do the Zoom one because Diabetes Sisters does have a restriction that it only allows women to be part of the support group. And through my work in the community with diabetes, I had a lot of men that would come in my workshops and I wanted to involve them as well. So I opened another support group and that one I do online, which has worked very beautifully because a lot of these people are actually IT professionals and they prefer to meet that way. And, you know, I must say, living in New Jersey, the traffic and the commute is always, uh, you know, a challenge. So this has been a great way to get people together without the commute time. And another thing as a leader of the support group, you must make sure that you connect the people to each other and then you create a space for authentic sharing. So it is important to have that personal relationship with your participants. Be sure to state your intention to the group. And then make sure that it stretches over the needs of the entire group. So when the group started, you know, you might have a small group. Don't give up because they start trickling in one, two, three. Sometimes I've had one person attend my group also in the very beginning. But it does increase. It grows. And as it grows, you will see that you will have more diversity. So it is important to involve everybody And we know that progress happens at a place of trust. Mm -hmm. And as a parts leader of the support group, I am responsible to create that space of personal trust. I have found it very useful to have like a goal setting or an actionable goal at the end of every meeting. And this kind of makes them accountable for the next meeting. So getting to know people at a personal level, sending out emails if a regular person was missing to let them know that how you noticed and that you missed them, you know, just these are people and these are people struggling with a chronic condition. So everybody likes that, you know, thoughtful, kind word. Um, People have used nextdoor.com to recruit new members for their support group. I was just Mm -hmm. lucky because of the location that I did not use any other uh, way to recruit them. Um, I have also tried to make my support groups fun. I feel that meetings are fun when they're done as a team. So I always have an agenda and I try to plan at least three months in advance. Diabetes Sisters has a lineup of modules or mini lessons that I use to plan ahead. Like this month uh, was Heart Health Month, so I used a lesson for heart health. And I always also try to invite guests to my meetings. So the South Asian group that I have this coming Wednesday, I have an endocrinologist who's coming in. She will be logging in for 20 minutes of that hour, and she will be taking questions. I have asked all my participants to wear red for heart health. So, you know, just make it fun, whichever way you can be creative. And then I always like to send a personal thank you note just to say thank you for attending and that I hope that you learned something new at this meeting. And it all kind of works out. You know, you mentioned something earlier on, and those were all amazing tips, by the way. I loved those. And I know people will be able to use those. And You mentioned early on, and you're taking advantage of these Zoom meetings, right? And I think it's something we're seeing across the board about people leveraging the situation that we're in and saying, okay, what can we do virtually? And what is going to continue longer term, even after we're all free again? Are there people that really function better or, you know, within like a virtual environment and can still do the peer support? I guess I'm just thinking 
you know, there's something really nice about sitting next to somebody. I'm imagining your community library in the community room, just being able to sit next to somebody and connect with them in a very personal way. Can you do that on a Zoom call? I have to say that, Kristen, as I started, I was apprehensive myself about this whole thing. But um, it has worked out beautifully because people talk, converse. We have some rules in the beginning. Um, of course, that personal, you know, meetings, those smiles and, you know, that chit-chatting before and after the meeting doesn't happen. But there is a personal connection that we are able to bring in these Zoom meetings. And the other advantage that I found with these Zoom meetings was that in the library, I could only target the elderly population, the seniors, and I'd never got the people who were living with diabetes but had jobs. Mm -hmm. So this other group that I have, actually, I run it in the evenings, and it is on Zoom, so people can join after work. So what I'm seeing in that group is I see a lot more younger people join that group. So definitely there are advantages to, you know, meeting in person, but this has worked out really well. Well, you know, in a very basic way, I just think it hits all sorts of different personalities where, you know, you have some people who with a Zoom meeting, you have the opportunity to ask questions through the chat function. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have to be on or in front of people all the time. And for people who like maybe the introverts who are a little slower to come out or they process information and think about things later, it just seems like having multiple platforms or multiple ways to do this peer support just offers so many more opportunities to reach every person where they're at. So quick question as we start, you know, um, a quick turn here. I know that you've worked with peer leaders and in your groups. How has that worked or what role do these peer leaders play in your support groups or in your pods? So that is a whole different project that we have going on here in New Jersey. I am a peer leader myself for um, the DSMP program, and we have a very diverse population in New Jersey, and it has a big South Asian population. And I'm sure our listeners know that this South Asian population is on the top cohort for both pre-diabetes as well as type 2 diabetes. So there was a great need for me to address this particular population. So We had a grant awarded from the Department of Health, uh, the Office of Minority and Multicultural Health, where we are now doing the diabetes self-management program from Stanford, as well as an addendum, like a cultural addendum to that, to these groups of people. So for that purpose, we have recruited 12 South Asian peer leaders, and these peer leaders come from the community. So know that the South Asian countries are very diverse in itself, is the countries of India, Nepal, Bhutan, Pakistan, Bangladesh. So different foods, different culture. And we have tried to recruit these people because they speak different languages. And these peer leaders are trained on the DSMP curriculum as well as the cultural curriculum. And they co-lead our workshops. And then they lead these support groups within their communities. So, you know, one of the functions for them is to recruit. And as we were talking about Zoom, I want to say that we have now participants from California, North Carolina, Canada, and even from India. So this person wakes up at 3 a.m. 
to join our workshop or our support group from India. So it is amazing how this thing has taken off. And our peer leaders also actually use a app. I don't know if you have heard about it. It's called WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. It can be uh, downloaded on your smartphones. And we connect all our participants to this app where they remain in contact even after their six weeks of classes have ended. Just yesterday, (laughs) this WhatsApp group was so active because I had a young man who has pre-diabetes this whole past year. He has been very stressed. He was diagnosed when the pandemic actually hit in January, right before that. And he couldn't do anything about it, but he kept coming to these support groups. And yesterday, he got his report for his four-month hemoglobin A1C result, and he was down a whole point. So the entire group has been his cheerleader all these months, and there was a lot of celebration. That's fantastic. So it's sort of like you're creating a peer support group for them long-term or however long that they want to continue working with the groups, right? Yes. And that's how we are seeing it evolve. It is amazing how, you know, because it is a group of people, you know, somebody or the other will post something and, you know, people chime in and people give their, you know, their TED Talks there. There's this food that it's an amazing group of uh, activity that you see that's ongoing and that's ongoing without any effort from me. Once I get that group started, you know, it takes on by itself. And your leaders that you have working with you, this is all volunteer, and are they going to continue you know, doing this beyond the project? Yes, they're all actually trained um, from our uh, local county Department of Health. So some of them want to continue. And I've already seen, like, they have been with us for three years now, and they already have setups in their mosques and churches and temples and One of them works in Lions Club. They want to do bigger like diabetes workshops like this with their own communities. So yeah, I think they're going to continue to do the work even after the grant is over, which is ending in June of this year. Well, you know, earlier you mentioned that really important piece, which is creating trust. We need more peer support groups. How do you inspire others to start their own group? You know, as educators listening to this podcast, we know that peer support groups decrease both morbidity and mortality rates and thus increasing life expectancy, right? So, you know, it also increases the participants' knowledge of diabetes so they can make more informed decisions about their disease state. It allows the participants to put self-care on the list for themselves without feeling guilty. Even the research has reported that it kind of improves the health status and the self-care skills of the people who attend these groups and including medication adherence. So as educators, our listeners for this podcast, I'm sure they know the problems we have with compliance and medication adherence. And I think the support group is a great place to get that encouragement to, you know, adhere to a regular schedule for both medications or insulin as needed. Additionally, like I said, like we discussed before, providers of this social support group, they have also reported less depression, a heightened self-esteem, and most important is that you will improve the quality of life of someone living with a chronic condition. So 
It may sound very overwhelming to start a support group, but it is an opportunity for you to make a difference in the world, and I think that you should take it up. I also feel that you don't have to really start a new support group. If there are existing support groups, you could just use that as as a stepping stone to a smaller subset. But it has been a very rewarding experience for my own journey with diabetes. Well, we know that diabetes is a pandemic and, you know, peer support is a way to reach everyone because that's really one of the major issues we have, especially in the U.S., but I would say globally, is this issue of how do you reach everybody and give every person with diabetes the support they need to do self-management and and manage um, along with, you know, in partnership with their healthcare provider. Thank you so much for being on and I look forward to chatting again soon sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we heard from Shelja Mather, a peer leader in her community. We found out just how impactful peer support groups can be for anyone with diabetes or prediabetes and the importance of connection and community from those with the lived experience of a chronic condition. Peer leaders are a key component in starting and managing a successful peer support group and can provide the culturally appropriate care needed for ongoing support. For more information on peer support, visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash peer support for HCP. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.